once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. How do you know when God is speaking to you? Maybe you have a strong feeling that you should do something. Maybe you have a peace about a decision. But how reliable are those feelings? And how can you know whether it's really God? Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series Hearing God in a Noisy World with the first part of this message entitled Counterfeit Voices, which covers 1 Kings chapter 13, verses 11 through 25. Thank you for joining us today. In his book, The Cost of Discipleship, John White, I believe now deceased, but uh, John White then in writing tells a story of when he was dropping off his wife and little child for a flight, an evening flight. He dropped them off at the airport, said goodbye to them. He was then to go to his hotel nearby and sleep uh, a brief time to catch an early morning flight to go to a different city from where he sent his wife and child. He had a man with him in the car, and as he was driving, he had this unusual sense that God was speaking to him. And uh, he sensed God was saying, the flight that your wife and child is about to board is going to crash. He said it was so compelling, he said he just sensed it was, it was a reality. This was obviously before the days of cell phones, and he said that in, in part because he'd never had such an experience, number two, he really didn't believe in such experiences. And number three, that he had a friend with him in the car that he felt totally embarrassed to even bring it up and suggest such that he ended up going back to the hotel and carrying on as he normally would. He ended up tossing and turning all night. He couldn't sleep. He'd awake and think about it and just believe, I know this is reality. Sure enough, the next morning, he awakened to find out that that flight did indeed crash and all people on board were killed. However, however, his wife had had the same sense of God speaking and had at the last minute not gotten on that flight but waited to get a different flight. I was years ago driving a car out of state on a county road and a lot of turns coming around corners and so forth and as I was doing so I had a similar type of a, of a confidence that God was speaking it was time to take me home and that it would be through a car accident and it would be then on that trip and I, I, I can't tell you how overwhelmed I was with the sense that this is going to happen it seemed like every turn I anticipated someone coming across the line and taking my life it was a tragic tragic crash I died I mean, obviously, nothing happened. So did God speak then to John White, and he didn't speak to me? I shared a week or two ago the story of being on the curbside, waiting for a ride and having a sense of God saying, don't get in the car, and I didn't. The car went on and had a fatal crash. So how do you know if God is speaking? I mean, after all, isn't it true that non-believers, far from being followers of Christ, have very unusual intuitions that do come true? Isn't it true that many a Christian has a strong sense that God is speaking and nothing happens according to what supposedly the voice was saying? How do we know? 
Well, that's what this series hopefully is going to help clarify. When is it that God is speaking? How do we know if he is speaking? How do we make decisions? All these things come into focus. Now to do so, we're going to turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 13. Now let me suggest that there are numerous texts of Scripture that are going to address situations where people either do hear the voice of God and he speaks clearly and it comes to reality, but also many occasions like the text we're going to look at, which is a counterfeit voice. It's not the voice of God speaking at all, but it is mistaken to be so. So we're going to look at it through the first 10 verses before I, in fact, before I read, I'm going to tell you the first 10 verses, and then we're going to read verses 11 through 25. Let me give you the background just so you can understand the text. The story is of a man of God. He is a prophet, a true prophet of God. He is from the southern kingdom of the people of God, the Jewish people, the southern kingdom. And this man is going to be addressing the king named Jeroboam, who is the king of the northern kingdom, the ten tribes. And this man, Jeroboam, was doing some horrific things. For one thing, he had decided that uh, he was afraid that his people were going to, they were going to go south and they would end up in Jerusalem at the house of David to worship, believing that's the only place to worship, that they couldn't worship without being there. So he created his own sanctuaries in the cities of Bethel and Dan, two cities. He created two golden calves so the people could worship the calves. He even set up his own non-Levitical priesthood so that he could have the priests necessary to carry on all the offerings and the worship and so forth that they would be doing. I mean, he took these 10 tribes to the greatest heights of disobedience and disrespect to the truth of God. So this time that the man of God is sent by God to Jeroboam to literally prophesy and to denounce everything he was doing. He ended up doing so, and as he was before Jeroboam, and he begins to prophesy, he actually says, this is what's going to happen. Josiah is going to actually burn the priest on the altar where the worship is taking place inappropriately. Do you know it was 10 chapters later, you actually read that happens, that they get burned right there at the altar. So he's letting Jeroboam have it, and about that time, Jeroboam says, enough is enough, and he stretches out his hand to seize him, and as he did, his hand withered. And with that, he realized he was in the presence of a true man of God. Well, happened to be that the man of God sought God's best for Jeroboam's hand and said, hey, would you heal his hand? I just entreat you. Would you heal it? And right there in his presence, his hand was healed. And so with that, Jeroboam says, man, I want you on my side. He said, how about let's have, an, let's have a meal together. Let's sit down. Let's eat. Let's drink. He says, no way in this world. God has spoken to me and said, I should not eat here 
neither shall I drink here. I'm to come, leave a different way. He gave me all my instructions, and what you're asking me to do would be violating it. I will not do it. And with that, he left. Now watch what happens when we pick up in the next verse, verse 11. Let me read it. Now an old prophet, a different person, this is an old prophet, was living in Bethel. Now Bethel is one of the two cities of worship that are doing that which God has forbidden. And his sons came and told him all the deeds which the man of God had done that day in Bethel, the words which he had spoken to the king. These also they related to their father. The father said to them, which way did he go? Now his sons had seen the way which the man of God who came from Judah had gone. Then he said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him and he rode away on it. So he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. He said, I cannot return with you nor go with you, nor will I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. For a command came to me by the word of the Lord, you shall eat no bread nor drink water there. Do not return by going the way which you came. He said to him, I also am a prophet like you. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord saying, bring him back with you to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So we went back with him and ate in his house, drank water. Now it came about as they were sitting down at the table that the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried to the man of God who came from Judah saying, thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the command of the Lord and have not observed the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you, but have returned and eaten bread and drunk water in the place in which he said to you, eat no bread and drink no water. Your body shall not come to the grave of your fathers. Came about after he had eaten bread and after he had, had drunk that he saddled the donkey for him, for the prophet whom he had brought back. Now when he had gone, a lion met him on the way and killed him. His body was thrown on the road with the donkey standing beside it. Beside it. The lion also was standing beside the body. And behold, men passed by and saw the body thrown on the road and the lion standing beside the body. So they came and told it in the city where the old prophet lived. Very interesting story, is it not? You have a true prophet and you have a false prophet. Now, even in the New Testament day, the Christian is being warned, be careful about false prophets. In fact, we have a text in 1 John chapter 4, the very first verse. Look how it reads. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but notice this next word, but test the spirits. Keep that word spirits in mind till later. To see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, the book of Revelation talks a lot about the false prophet. And the false prophet though many people disagree, I'm going to suggest there's not one individual figure that comes in, in history, comes and leaves. But the false prophet is really used to talk about religions that are false, 
Many religious people that are not legitimate, that are not truly speaking on behalf of God. For instance, I was raised in a church that I'm convinced that some of the pastors during my lifetime in that church would be considered false prophets. They didn't preach what we know, the gospel. They didn't believe in the word of God as inerrant and infallible. And so they would divert from the Bible and say, this is true, even though it's not in the Bible and this, that, and the other. And so I, I think that would be a false prophet. Well, the teaching of Scripture says we need to be careful and we need to discern when do we think we're hearing from God when perhaps we really are not. And so what we're going to do over these three weeks, this week and the next two, we're going to look at six counterfeit voices. We're going to begin with the first two that are very subjective voices. Now, for some of the kids that are here, subjective, I'm talking about uh, we feel something that's not objective. We can't see it, touch it, and hold it, and so forth, but we feel something very strong. That's more subjective versus objective, that which is pretty concrete. It says it, we see it, it does, so forth. So we're going to look at those four over the next two weeks, but this week we're going to look at the first two, which are very subjective voices. So let's do it. It won't take long, but I think it'll give us great insight in how to know when God is speaking and when he's not. Number one, personal desires. Personal desires. Not uncommon to hear someone, particularly in the realm maybe of divorce. They're divorcing as a Christian. They're divorcing their spouse. They don't have biblical grounds. They may have a terrible marriage, but they don't have biblical grounds for breaking the covenant of marriage. And in talking with them, I might hear these words, well, the Lord has led me to do so. The Lord has led me to do it. Many of you know the story of my own parents' divorce when I was in college and my father just disappeared. Strangely, could of all people, it wouldn't happen to my family, but it did. And over time, tracked my father and found my father. And, and when I said, what, what is this? What? And he, he found someone else. And I confronted him as a religious man. I knew he wasn't a true Christian, but very religious. And I said, you know, how, how do you do this in light of, of what, you know, God says is right and what's wrong? And he said, ah, oh, but God led me to do this. He led you to do it. Oh, I met her in church. It was obvious as God brought us together and how he brought us together and this, that, and the other. And I'd had to shake my head in disbelief only to realize I was going to encounter such logic a hundred times over the course of a ministry where people say, you know, God spoke to me. Oh, I know it goes against the word of God, but he spoke to me and I, I believe it's what God wants me to do. And so with that in mind, let me suggest a couple of maybe um, reminders as to, as to making decisions that you think might be of God that have to do with this idea of personal desires. Number one, one's leading must be consistent with God's word. That's just a given right there. That's so basic, but so very important. When you sense there's something that you believe God would have you to do, and perhaps as a young Christian, find out that it's going against the Word of God, you got to say, uh-uh, not doing that. It's got to be consistent. Therefore, it is so important, young Christian, read the Bible. All Christians, 
read the Bible, study the Bible, memorize, meditate, listen to good teaching, get to know as much of what God has to say. That's how you can know the will of God. Much of it right in Scripture. The principles there just give us the yeas and nays of what we should or should not do. Certainly not all things are there. Number two goes a step beyond. One's leading must be motivated by bringing glory to God. You don't just ask the question, what am I thinking I should or shouldn't do, but why am I thinking I should or shouldn't do what I'm thinking? What's the motive behind it? You know, it, uh, it could be that this prophet, the, the good prophet, maybe he was hungry. Maybe he's thinking, you know, I'm, I'd like to believe it's okay for me to go back. I haven't had anything to eat. I haven't had anything to drink. Obviously, he was stopped and resting. Maybe he was worn out and he thought, you know, go, just to go back. If he says that God spoke, man, I love to hear that. Sure, I'll believe that. And here is the point, folks. It is so very easy to take this word and you can find it saying anything you want it to say. You can turn this thing and you can twist it. You can get it to say what you want it to say. What I'm suggesting is you look at the Bible and say, okay, this is what I think it says, but let me go to people who have greater insight, greater knowledge, and ask, what does the Bible teach about this? Am I in any sense going against God to make this decision to go this way or that way? Got to be consistent with God's Word, but also look to your motive. Why are you choosing to believe what you believe? Is it because you want to? You want to believe it or... No, that's really what it says. In fact, I'll give you a little guideline here, a little principle, and that is Satan's leadings are typically going to be self-promoting and uh, self-serving. Versus when you find God's leading, watch how many times, and I'm not saying in total, but watch how many times it's going to include service, downward mobility perhaps. Hmm. Perhaps it's going to even create a, uh, an inconvenience maybe even harm. The Apostle Paul, when he's talking about God's directing of him, he describes it in chapter 20, verse 22, and he says it this way. He says, and now behold, bound by the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly confirms to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. Boy, how many people have ever come up to me and said, you know, God is really speaking to me that I, I'm going to suffer, that I need to suffer. That I... No, no, no. It's, we don't want to hear that. We often won't hear it. But if you hear a message, a sense from God that he's leading you away and it's taking you into these kind of service and downward mobility and all that, boy, listen carefully to that. It could well be. I know this, that some of you have heard me over the years use this as an illustration. The number of times, particularly young men have come to me and said, God has told me I'm going to marry so-and-so. You can guess where this is headed. Well, has God told her? No. No, she hasn't heard it yet, but, but I, I know God wants me to marry her. Oh. I have yet to see one of those women that God has spoken to him about that's not extremely attractive. <laughs> Why would that be that he's not also speaking to people to marry less attractive people? 
Or here's a better one. When I was, when I was coming to plant perimeter uh, as part of a very new three-year-old uh, PCA, President Church in America, and the way they did it then, they didn't have about 15 or so people that were even available, ready, and, and interested in church planting. But they had a dozen or so cities all over the, the uh, country where they were trying to plant churches. And uh, there were certain qualifications they wanted for each one and so forth. And then they asked all of us to prayerfully consider if God would be leading us in one of those cities. It just struck me a little strange if there were 15 that maybe 11 of them believed God was leading them to plant the one in Hawaii that they had designated. <laughs> I, I kept going back and saying, did God really lead this many people to Hawaii? Well, we could only use one pastor. Obviously, 10 of those people weren't listening too carefully. Well, what were they hearing? They were hearing, this is my desire. And I think it's the will of God. I think he's spoken. Got to be very, very careful. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that when God leads us to something, it's not ever to be a delight and a joy to end up where we are, to have what we have that's nice or whatever it is. What I'm just saying, a lot of people have gotten destroyed in their life by taking steps that really is motivated by desire more than a true leading of God. Be very, very, very careful. So number one, personal desires. Number two, number two is peace of mind. Peace of mind. This would be uh, maybe better defined or thought of as that, that uh, quiet uh, still small voice within me that's speaking. You know what I'm talking about? I've just got a peace about this. Very close to the first. Desire, but maybe this is just, I've got a peace about it. Now, don't, again, don't get me wrong. There is a place for that in discovering of God's will, but should be very cautiously observed. Hear that? Just cautiously observed. As we get in later to guidelines for determining the will of God, you're going to see that there are a lot better ways than simply this kind of peace that I have or the lack of peace. In fact, as I'm going to suggest, when you don't have a peace about something and it's something that you would want to do, desire to do, you might listen even more carefully. Again, not totally. But you know it's not based on desire. It wouldn't be based on wrong motive. Maybe it is the voice of God that's speaking. We know that there's nowhere in the Old Testament or New Testament, at least that I know of, there's no place that simply this inner voice or peace of mind is the reason that God's people did what they did. It might be a, more of an add-on confirming issue, but it was never the primary reason. Some people go to Colossians 3 and they say, ah, oh, but what about verse 15? It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. But that has nothing to do about decision making. So you don't want to utilize that text at all. I think the normative plan that God uses is what we would call sanctified reasoning. We take our thoughts and we say, God, I want... I want to know what is the wise and right thing to do. Would you lead me to that? And my motives are to serve you. That's the reason. I'm not, I don't have, I desire this, want that. But God, here's all I want to do is I want to obey you. And, and sure, then that's fine if you have that, that peace of mind. Very, very good. 
But it's not normative. Normatively, God's going to use a sanctified reasoning. He's going to use God-given authorities that have been placed in our lives. But just be careful. That's all I'm saying. On these subjective ones, be very, very careful. So what about intuition? What are we going to say about intuition? So I started out saying, okay, this person has an intuition, plane crashes. I have an intuition, there's no, there's no wreck. Uh, how, how do you view intuition? I'm going to suggest that intuition can be a spiritual phenomenon. Did God speak to this Christian leader about his wife and child's flight? I wouldn't say God didn't speak, that that was just a natural thing that happened or something. Uh, I, who's to say God didn't? When I stepped out of that, that uh, away from that car and didn't get in and there's a fatal crash, I sense I shouldn't do it. Was that just an intuition, natural intuition? No, maybe not. Maybe it's a true spiritual thing. And I would suggest when you believe it is something God is saying, that you want to be very discerning and, and consider that maybe it's something that you should or shouldn't do. But I'm suggesting to you that it can be a psychological phenomenon as well. Meaning it may not have anything to do with the speaking of God. We do tell, do say, we've mentioned already, non-Christians have this amazing intuition of things that come true. Psychologists will tell you that it is possible for the subconscious to process information much faster than the conscious and can actually use data, for instance, our controlled thoughts and can utilize that to lead us to places where we make decisions that I should or I shouldn't or this is going to happen and it happens for instance I look back later and I evaluated that time I'm driving and I think that I'm going to die that there's going to be a car crash and I realize I bet that's a psychological thing for me why well, I had a friend at that time that just weeks or months so after that, or prior to that, had crashed. I mean, if you remember the name, uh, Dan DeHaan had crashed. And I knew that the mountain range that I was looking at, somewhere in that range is where he had just previously crashed. Uh, my mind's processing that and so forth and so on. Next thing I know, I'm having a feeling or a thought. They got, so you've got to be very, very careful with something like that. What we want to do is come back to what really is going to be important, and that is what are the main things that we do want to do to discern the will of God. Obviously, that will come in guidelines. But before I close out, I would like to take six summary statements. I think they're in your bulletin, and I'll just flip through them very quickly. Let's just look at them, make sure we've all read them, and, uh, and then bring this to conclusion. Here are six summary conclusions. Number one. Personal desires, whether in opposition to God's word or merely motivated by self-serving intention, should be readily identified as a counterfeit voice. So if you know your desires are screaming at you and you know it's motivated by self-serving and, and uh, self-promoting intention, and you're thinking this is the voice of God, be careful. Say, uh-uh, don't do that. If any of you right now are thinking, I think I'm going to divorce my spouse because after all, I got good reason to divorce them. I can't tell you that it's a biblical reason, but I got good reason. I'd say, do you want to follow God? Do you believe, as we said, as we introduced the text of the series, why listen? Because God's will is always the best will. 
You want what's best for you? So be very, very careful. Number two, peace of mind should never be heavily relied upon and certainly never viewed as an infallible gauge for determining God's will. I hope you're hearing that I'm not throwing out peace of mind and desire as being bad or not something we should not listen to. Um, certainly, they're factors. Just be careful with them. That's all I'm saying. Just be cautious as you use those two. Number three, if you have peace of mind about a decision which includes good and desirable circumstances, I'm going to not say necessarily put little, but put less stock in its, in its presence. Don't, don't make that a major factor in determining. Number four, if your peace of mind about a decision includes undesirable circumstances, listen carefully because God may well be speaking to you. You would want to at least believe there's perhaps a greater likelihood if I'm sensing a strong leading to something that I don't want to do, it doesn't promote me, it's just like, but I have a sense that maybe I should, I would listen very carefully. That may well be the best thing. Doesn't mean it is, but it could be. Number five. If you don't have peace of mind about something which includes desirable circumstances, be very cautious about moving ahead. And I want to say to our young people here, one of the greatest statements that I was challenged with as a young student, Christian, Christian student, I was challenged when in doubt, don't. And there would be things I'd say, well, I, the Bible doesn't say it's wrong, but I had a sense that I shouldn't. Maybe it was because my conscience was not schooled well enough to know what is appropriate and best. But when I had a sense of saying I shouldn't, a man that was helping me said, look, when in doubt, just don't. You're going to be in far better situations when you morally are thinking that you shouldn't. But you're not sure. Just be careful and don't, which is number six. If you think something might be morally wrong for you, don't do it. Just don't do it. So with that, is God speaking to you? I think he is. I think he's speaking to every one of us. I think he's speaking to those of us that aren't believers. I think we're hearing God say, because of the very fact you're here in this place, we're hearing God say, follow me. Give your life to me. And that's probably something that you don't long to do. It's not self-promoting to do so. It's something you might not desire. You might even dread or the thought of what does it mean to follow him. But you hear the voice and it says, follow me. There's no way we merit the voice of God being clear to us. We can't do that. It's all by grace. It's what he's done for us. That's why we always go back to the cross. How do you get to that place? How do you come to the place? Do you say, oh, well, I'll follow what happens through love? Why love? Well, how do you get love? Well, you got to meet the person and spend enough time around that person until you see who they are enough and the beauty and quality of who they are, and you say, I'm finding myself wanting to be with you. So you spend time with God. Go to his word. Read the Bible. Invite him, say, I want to get to know you better. I want to get to understand you better. I want to see you clearer. Help me, God, and go to the Word of God. Consider what his work has been on, on the behalf of those that are his followers, and just consider and see if God doesn't do something incredible in the heart. There would be a lot of us here that are real followers, 
And God's speaking to some of us on different things. Some of us, we're hearing the voice of God, and it is literally telling us, and you know, saying, you know what? You need to serve. You know you need to be serving. I want you to serve. It's good for you to serve. And you say, I don't necessarily want to serve. It's time because I don't want. Listen to that voice if he says serve. There's so many of us here, you know God would be saying, I want you in covenant relationship with my church. I don't want you just dating the church, dating me, any more than I want you living with someone without marriage. Come into covenant relationship. And you know God's been speaking, saying, come on, I would do it. Maybe it has to do with your time or your resources. God's saying, you know what? You need to be given more of your resources. You need to push them to the kingdom, push them to the kingdom. Listen if he's saying that to you. And there's some of us that are in broken relationships right now. And we know God's speaking. And he's saying, I want you to go back and I want you to at least try to mend that relationship. See if you can get it back together. And I know we can say, but they're 90% wrong. I'm only 10%. Well, it doesn't matter. Go. You hear God speaking. Go to them. And lastly, I bet you there's some of us here that are singles. And some of us are spending time with the wrong people and engaging in relationships that we know God is saying, this is not honoring. Any more so than it was for Jeroboam to try to create his own way of dealing with the things of God. You're trying to do it without being in the heart of God. How do you get your heart? See, here's the point I want to leave you. This is it right here. You see, our big issue is not hearing God. That's not our big problem. Our big problem is obeying what we're hearing God say. And if we're struggling with that, you know, you don't just ratchet up the willpower. That's not going to do it. Maybe 10 minutes max after you've heard a motivating talk, but it's gone. It ain't going to happen. What you've got to have is something happening to you that God does. You've got to have him turn the heart and the mind toward him in such a way that you find yourself saying, I can't but do what you're telling me to do. So I'm going to suggest that what we need to be doing is spending our time saying, God, I'm going to invite you do something in my life. I invite you do something to me because I can't do it on my own. And once you do, I'll know you did it because I could never do it. That's when God begins to work in people's lives. When we say, I can't, but you can, and I'm willing, that's the formula for God to do great things. That's when you start hearing God much clearer. In essence, we don't need to know so much about how do you hear God, but how do I get the place that my heart says, I want to obey you? That's when we hear the voice of God. So hang in here through the rest of the series because we'll be adding piece by piece. We're going to talk about two other counterfeit, counterfeit voices, uh, misguided friends, open doors. We'll discuss those this next week, okay? As we pray together, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask as we seek to know your will that you would give us hearts that long to obey your will. And rather than us trying to ratchet up some ability within us that we can't do, we're going to invite you to do in us what we can't do. What we're going to do is say we can't. 
but to declare that you can and then to invite you to do what you can do and we can't. So would you now, we invite you, lead us to know you, lead us to serve you, lead us to obey you. We pray, Father, that at the end of our lifetime, that we're going to be glad that we learned to listen to you and follow. Thank you for the privilege to do so. We ask this in the great name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.